minha ciranda não é minha só Ela é de todos nós, ela é de todos nós A melodia principal é quem ri É a primeira voz, é a primeira voz Minha ciranda não é minha só Ela é de todos nós, ela é de todos nós Melodia principal é quem ri É a primeira voz, é a primeira voz Pra se dançar ciranda Juntamos mão a mão Formando uma roda Cantando uma canção Pra se dançar ciranda Juntamos mão com a mão Formando uma roda Cantando uma canção Olha uma preta cirandeira Brincando com ganza na mão Brincando ciranda animado No meio de uma multidão Menina eu parei e fiquei olhando A preta pegou a improvisar Eu perguntei quem é essa negra Solia de Tamaracá, a ciranda vai, vai, a ciranda vem, vem. A ciranda só presta na praia pra gente brincar mais um bem. A ciranda vai, vai, a ciranda vem, vem. A ciranda só presta na praia pra gente brincar mais um bem. Greetings, Los Angeles. This is Amanda Yates Garcia, and you're listening to the Oracle Hour on K-Chung Radio, and I have a very special guest today, Stuart Krimko, poet, writer, of about of and about art, art world aficionado and astrologer, and I'm very excited to pick his brains. Stuart, hello. Hi, good thank to you. be here, Amanda. <laughs> thank Thanks you for so having much me. For, thank you so much for coming. Um, maybe we can just start by talking a little bit about, well, your bio, sure. right? Sure. So you, okay, so do you consider yourself first and foremost a poet or an astrologer or both? Or I mean, I think the poet thing is that's the core of it, right? Um, I'm, I, I introduce myself as an astrologer more and more, um, but... Uh, Could you close, sorry, I'm sorry to push that. He's just closing the screen because we're at K-Chung where it's like noisy. 
Thank you. Um, yeah. But yeah, poet. That's like, I feel like if there's one uh, thing that describes most of what I do, although I've started to, uh, when I give people the, like, the list of things, I do like, oh, I'm a poet, a translator, an astrologer, I write a lot. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of like a, um, I'm like a psychedelic small town lawyer, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can get your like will done, and you're not real, literally, but that kind of thing. Like it's all this textual stuff, mm -hmm. but the poet, part, the poet part is the engine. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> the psychedelic small town lawyer who sort of like office is in the post office. Yeah, that kind of thing. Also exactly. rocks our Christmas presents. Right. And, um, awesome. Well, so. How did you come to poetry? Did you always know that you wanted to be a poet? Or what What was that process like for you? You know, no, I, um, you know, as a teenager, I had this thing where I really didn't like writing. Um, and then I did it anyway. And I did it well enough, you know, the teachers liked it. And I, I kind of liked it. Um, and then, yeah, when I was in college, 18, I just got exposed to poetry for the first time, really. I mean, I read Robert Frost and mm. Cummings and things like that. But um, actually, reading contemporary poetry was sort of opened my mind to it. It's like, oh, you can kind of create this abstract stuff using language. And that was that. I just started doing it. Yeah, And, and then I, in the beginning, I got really just obsessed with how one poem would work as a little formal structure. And I don't really work that way anymore. But that's how it started. And I found myself getting obsessed trying to perfect these things at whatever, 19. And then that was that. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like initially your interest was formal, mechanical. Yeah, very much so, actually. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. And do you f how do you feel like your work has changed since then? Like, I was going to ask you about that, actually, about, mm -hmm. you know, what you feel like you're trying to do, like, with your work. If mm -hmm. you feel like your work is personal or more formal or abstract in nature, that you're... It's gotten much more personal and maybe um, theological, mm -hmm. I, you know? Uh, I think that's like my primary motivation, probably, philosophical, but it's more like theological or, or um, and I do, you know, maybe the astrology crossover has worked for me because probably the way I do poetry is a little bit divinatory or incantatory or something like that. I mean, after that period as a younger person when I was trying to fiddle with these things and make much more complicated, formal, structures, I pretty quickly realized that it wasn't that satisfying. Like, I'd tear my hair out, and I'd maybe get something or not, and I realized that if I just wrote poems straight through, like, first thought, best thought kind of thing, um, not that they would all be good, or even that a fraction of them would be good, but that was, it was more satisfying to just do that over and over again when it felt like the right time to do that, and then put it all aside and wait for the wheat to separate from the chaff, however that happened you know, over time, you know, and that the, the good poems kind of made themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so I became much less interested about, um, I, I mean, I still have, I, I do formal things, and I've written poems that have, like, um, real heavy rhyme, and, you know, I'm aware of visual um, layout and things like that, but it much, you know, I think in a much more um, indirect or background way than I was once was. Do you think that when you're working in a formal way like that, where you're trying to essentially solve a puzzle mm -hmm. with the work, that that relates to the audience in a different way? Or do you even think about the audience? Because it sounds like you're initially you were trying to sort of work something out, and then the reader is sort of incidental. Mm -hmm. But then if you're shifting to something that's more a theological investigation that seems to be concerned with broad, a broader mm -hmm. context or with the every person, yeah, I mean, every man and woman? Uh, probably every person, just like in terms of me being there with a poem or with the act of trying to write one. Um, I, you know, I think I've been really lucky with my audience. It's a small one of people most, I think, I know well, you know, um, and I'm pretty much cool with that. I mean, I'd like more, I guess, but, um, so yeah, that there, I have like a small, maybe a lot, probably a lot of writers have this, like there's one or a few people or one person that they have in their mind that they're kind of writing to, and I think it's something kind of like that, like there's a, a handful, a big handful or two handfuls that I feel like I have a conversation with even when I'm by myself doing that. So, but yeah, they're, they're there in a way that maybe they weren't, um, or maybe when I was trying to do this more formal stuff as a, uh, when I was younger, I thought like, oh, 
the poetry world, literature, something like that. And now it's just kind of like time and this group of people. Right. Well, so when you when you speak to the idea of theological mm-hmm. poems or theological investigations with your work, maybe we could unpack that a little bit. Like, what what do you mean by that? Like, how does your work reflect an interest in theology? And also, maybe we could talk a little bit about just how theology is almost in a way like a dirty word or a dirty idea. And maybe I'm just defensive, which is probably true at least some of the time, but I do feel like there's such a strong tendency towards atheism in the realm of, you know, intellectual culture Mm -hmm. today that, I don't know, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that and how you've, you've arrived at this sense of theology or a sense of like looking for God in a way yeah well um, I wouldn't say that all of my like looking turns up positive you know what I mean? <laughs> um, well first of all I think you know um, just part of it is like um, and it, I, I almost feel like it's a, um, a literary mode or genre or something like that you know if I think about people like George Herbert or even like Wall Stevens um you know, there uh, there's like a metaphysical thrust, I think, to what they're doing or what they're talking to or what they're trying to figure out, which is like their place in, even if it's just their place in language, it's sort of um, by extension their place in the cosmos and existence, whatever, dealing just with the fact of their own consciousness, you know. Um, that to me is theological because it's just like, uh, yeah, questioning what our place is in all of this and how uh, if we make an utterance like who, who is that directed towards how is it coming back at us what's it bouncing off of and all that thing so I think there's like um, the, the, the poetry that um, has kind of I don't want to say moved me the most but that I felt the most able to kind of like participate in as a mode tended to be that kind of stuff so that's like one thing where it's just this and that, that goes way back right I mean it's like uh, maybe not um, this is less like um Provençal ballads, like this kind of like love poetry thing, which is another, not that that can't be divine too, but, um, you know, people singing to the heavens and trying to figure it out is, is an old, um, an old trope. So there's that. And then it's just, I guess my experience of like the, the motivating fact or feeling of like, I, you know, I want to sit down and do something like write a poem, right? Which is, takes place by myself and all the things we just talked about aside formally or audience, whatever, like when you sit down to do it, those things aren't there in the room with you. So it's like, why? And what is the problem that the, like you utter this language and you're trying to say something, what are you trying to say? And where does that, it's just like this kind of um, totally open space that to me feels, it's, it's just, there's like a metaphorical connection between that and yeah, this wondering like where, what are, what are we doing here? Why? Um, I try, you know, I try something out. You try to say something, and it like it falls, or it doesn't, or it connects, or it latches onto something out there in the world, or not, or it's just it, it quickly bends back and becomes um, meta in some way, right? Uh, that that all to me yeah, feels like a questioning of, of where we're at in the biggest picture. So it, it's just like the act itself feels to me like a like a kind of prayer or a kind of conversation with something that I don't quite know what it is, which feels to me like that's the divine to me, you know. Like you're feeling your way through the dark. Yeah, the dark or, like or, or the big light or yeah, either one for sure. But it's like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm talking with or you to, to or to whom I'm talking. And so it's like, oh, yeah, what we never know what God is. But right? that's that's kind of um, how I see the thing, you know. Um, so your work is like a system of navigation in a way to find your way through this very complex. A system or just a re like again and again, a, just an act of of wondering about that out loud, so to speak, right? It's just like a practice, maybe, mm. you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, but so but so you also work, have worked extensively in the art world, mm-hmm. and maybe you could speak about that a little bit, about, you know, how, how did that come about after or during poetry? How did you find yourself? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I needed a job. <laughs> well, I didn't. I guess I didn't need one, but I thought I did. You were living in New York. I was living in New York. Uh, I was, you know, 
saving up money to move out of my parents' house. Um, I just, Is that where you grew up? You grew up in New York? I grew up on Long Island, yeah, Great Neck, just like half an hour outside the city. And what, was your family religious? Uh, I grew up Jewish. I had bar mitzvah, the whole thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not like uh, culturally, very much so, more mm-hmm. than... Um, Did you go to synagogue? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like with um, hardcore regularity, but yeah. Were your parents believers? It's an interesting question. Um, my mom, yes. Um, my dad, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but but uh, neither of them, I would say, like engaged outwardly in like uh, yeah this kind of like theological mode that I'm talking about, right? That that wasn't really on the table. Like the bigger philosophical wrangling with this, which is very much a part of Jewish culture for some, you know what I mean? It's not like it wasn't there, that just wasn't their thing, you know? Um, so I was exposed to a little bit of that growing up, but I certainly grew up in a Jewish context, yeah. Mm. yeah. So you were living in Long Island, you'd got out of college? Got or? out of college, I was living in the city, or I was living in my parents' house. I had a job um, when I was in college, barred, I had a work-study job at the Center for Curatorial Studies. Um, and I befriended somebody there, one of the curatorial master students. And she got a curatorial job in the city, so she hired me to just work at the front desk at this place. And then I met somebody that um, Max Protesh had owned a gallery in New York at the time, and he, we just kind of hit it off. He hired me to be his assistant. And then I was going to Chelsea every day. You know? um, and that's Did you know very much about art at that time? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I'd grown up going to, um, my mom studied painting. We went to museums all the time. Um, I was exposed to a lot of classical music, too. So, yeah, I mean, I was into art, you know, uh, definitely. And then working, you know, through college, I was, I learned a lot about contemporary art. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was happening around me, you know, for sure. I was friends with, I tended actually to be, in some cases, friends with more artists or spend more time in the art building or whatever than with poets or, or writers. You majored in English? Uh, literature, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, um, a lot of the work I did actually was in Latin American literature, uh, contemporary Latin American literature, but um, yeah, I studied literature. And um, so yeah, I found myself in this gallery and, and I kind of liked it. I was kind of good at dealing with people and uh, certainly with relating to the artists and things like that. Um, so it just yeah, turned, it was, to, turned into a job, you know, that I was, that was, provided a lot of interesting experiences. It was very frustrating, too, for a variety of reasons. Like that, that any job can be, just personal stuff and not, um, being, I think, a little bit also um, unsure myself of what I wanted from it. Like, because, you know, the, the means I developed of writing poetry, I thought relatively successfully, or at least it satisfied me. It doesn't really take that much time. You know what I mean? It's not like I needed to like have six months at a go to write poetry. You know, um, it, it was just more like a daily thing. And then with a couple of weeks off here and a couple of weeks off there, it, I was fine because it really I see poetry as taking place like in life and as a response to it. You know, so it wasn't like I needed serious seclusion from everyday concerns to do that. So I think I was like, oh, I can do both of these things. You know, I can have a nice job that affords me a pretty nice life in the city and, and do this other thing. And in fact, there's precedence for that, and like Frank O'Hara or whatever, you know? So, uh, and yet, uh, you still got to get up every day and go. And then I was like, why am I putting so much emotional energy into these relationships? And, and um, so that would just become frustrating sometimes uh, to the point where I would leave for half a year. I'd quit, and then I'd come back in a slightly different capacity, the same gallery, actually. It uh, became emotionally frustrating to put so much energy into relationships in the art world, like yeah, with, yeah, with well, this collectors or artists. things, you know, just more, I'm talking more like within, you know, just not, po- not even politics. It wasn't a big enough place for that, just like, you know, uh, little things that happen in any, like, work family. People get fr- frustrated with one another. I think I, while I was good at what I was doing and people appreciated me, I think they're uh, very much so. I have good relationships with all the people still that I worked with. Um, you know, I think I probably was running up a- into certain walls of, like, how much I could actually do, you know, how much I could actually actually affect, you know, so I was like... What did you want to do? 
that I didn't know, which is part of the problem, right? But I think a lot, I, I, I spent a significant amount of time as what I saw as like, I wait, I'm like a glorified assistant here, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm not really doing whatever it is that is actually being done here, making the deals, doing the sales, blah, 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 whatever it is. Did you ever have ambitions to be an artist, like to be a visual artist? No. I guess that makes it easier, right? That was easy. Because yeah. it would be super painful to yeah. be around all these people who are selling their work if you if you wanted to do that. Yeah, and, and, and as much as like I was content doing poetry in the way I was doing it, uh, and I felt like there was no problem in terms of the work I was making. I was doing kind of what I wanted to do. You know, and this this was a theme for a subsequent number of years. There's still this thing of like if you see if you're like going around as a poet and you're soul or whatever and even and people know that about you so it's not like it's even hidden right people know you're a poet yeah but uh you still have like the majority of your social interactions on a given day week month year are through this other um position or role i just found that um and it took me a while to learn that i I found it grading at a certain point right i just i felt like i couldn't be myself I put, you know, I'm using scare quotes in the air, but it's true. It's true, you know. I, I wasn't, it wasn't quite the right fit, you know. And yet, on the other hand, you, you know, you worked at a pretty successful gallery, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the art world is, is full of, um, you know, ambition and fame to a certain mm-hmm. degree, and and obviously being in the position that you were in, you must have had a lot of people who, you know, wanted to be your friend or wanted to connect to you or saw you in a position of authority to some degree. You mean like artists? And yeah. Yeah. Like, important, quote, unquote, important people who who must, must have seen you as being a player in a field that they wanted to play in. And so it's interesting to me to just sort of leave that when you, when you, got something that a lot of people who maybe potentially actually did want to yeah that was a source of stress of too you know because i ha- i kick myself a lot of the time saying you know uh you should be happy right <laughs> i think this is like a good deal um maybe everybody does that wh- whatever they do. they do maybe they do like yeah. maybe if you were only writing poetry or if you're only being an artist, you know, like I have a lot of clients who are, who are only artists mm-hmm. and they're like kicking themselves and being like, why am I not happy? Right. I mean, maybe everybody always feels that. Maybe they do. And maybe it's a, you know, um, we have to go through whatever gauntlet we have to go through to figure out what that place of happiness is. And that requires a lot of like negative action, you know, bouncing off of things that send us in a direction. Um, so that's, that's what it felt like for me anyway. It took, it just took me a long time to, or what felt like a long time. I feel like it actually still okay. plenty of time to go. <laughs> yeah, you're so, still young. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're, if you're doing something as glamorous as it might be and you're depressed doing it at this it feels like time is slow yeah can feel that way but so you eventually you just quit you were talking in new york still or okay so so you was in new york then i moved here uh in 2009 um and i had i got out i didn't think i was gonna really work in the art world anymore Uh, i was thinking of doing other things and then it's just um just kind of worked out, you know. Uh, I ended up working at David Kordansky for five years. He and I are old friends, and um, in the best possible ways. And a lot of it, you know, that it was a collaboration amongst friends. I mean, it's it's his his deal. But um, some of the stuff that I felt in New York, like not being able to affect, actually do the job, was told that was totally went out the window because here I was like working with peers, and I could I did have an active role so that was satisfying after that big that chunk not that big but a chunk of time in new york getting feeling frustrated um yeah i was like okay okay actually here i i I can actually do stuff here you know um so that was great i I had a good time doing it for a while and uh yeah it was fun to be amongst peers and people my age who were running the show 
Um, but those same concerns of like, what is my role actually? How do people, know, you know, not how do people see me, more just like how, what kind of interactions am I having with people and in what capacity on a daily basis, you know? It's interesting because the way that you talk about it, you know, what is your role? How are you interacting with this field of existence and your, the is, so to speak, is similar to, it sounds like, what you're investigating in your work, in your poetry. Like, what is your role? Like, why are we here? Yeah. And I <laughs> How do I relate to everyone? Being able to ask those questions in a, in a um, um, not just on my own, it's like, that's totally what I think has led to the amount of energy I put into something like astrology, where you're having conversations, you're precisely having those conversations with other people and working through it with them. Um, all the time yeah and that's I, I love doing that you know um, yeah and so I mean, you have little there's little places where one does that say in, in, in working in the art world and with artists and with collectors and stuff like that it's it's a gift to be able to like stand in front of some object and be like what is this and why am I grapple by it and grapple and um, people there's lots of different kinds of relationships you have, even just working in a gallery, right? But there are it's innumerable times when you're just standing in front of something. It doesn't matter how much money they've got or what their interest is exactly. It's like, no, you're just trying to like make, like enter into this like aesthetic dance with the symbolism of whatever this thing is, you know? Um, which nobody quite knows, including the person who made it. So, um, so yeah, there were moments in which I could do this kind of thing. It was like uh, wondering what the role, our role, is in the big in the big picture. But I kind of wanted to, I wanted to mainline it more, you know. I think. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good observation. I'd never really put it together like that before. Well, so maybe we could hear a few of your pieces. Sure. Like, um, a couple that you feel like kind of get at what you're most interested in at the moment and then we'll take a little break and when we come back we'll talk more intensively about astrology and all of that good stuff sounds good you know what i'm going to read this one is like um these are if i read this one or more than one these are all fairly new um poems i'm gonna um have a chapbook coming out with Press Song Cave, which is on the East Coast, uh, in 2017. So these will probably be in that. Um, but this one is uh, like patently theological, uh, so I think I'll read it. Perfect. <laughs> we'll take a break. Uh, in a church, guitar and warmth. Her friends had decided not to come west after all, so she took her guitar to the church she frequented to strum to the Lord on an empty weekday afternoon. The church had exposed wooden beams and lots of exposed wood, and the light streamed through it when there was light to stream, because it rained there a lot, for which the trees were most thankful, and she intended to thank the Lord for rain and trees. Her friends weren't coming because of an imminent death in the family, and she intended to strum chords for death when she took her guitar out of its case in the quiet pyramid of the church when she got there. When she got there, there were no cars in the small dirt parking lot except the pastors, for which she was thankful because she knew he would be out in the woods on a weekday afternoon like this with the sun struggling to stream through the clouds, for which the clouds were thankful because it made them even more beautiful, bursting with mottled gray and white, like whales inspired by the surface of the ocean. The whales breached the surface and she stepped inside the church with her guitar in its case, singing quietly to itself of Saturdays and those on which delight streamed forth like a jet of ancient fire from a forgotten corner of a forgotten cosmos where the Lord had set up an illicit family to live in relative wealth while he tended to his official brood here on earth. She sat down cross-legged on the altar and opened the case in which the guitar had gone silent now in anticipation of blessing the devious world with its six strings chiming in praise of death and the details in which the Lord isn't. The guitar wasn't totally in tune, but who cares, she thought as she started to strum and sing an improvised song inspired by the footsteps of the pastor, which she couldn't hear, but who cares, because she knew he was out there walking somewhere, and the kindly ovals birds were drawing above the surf near the beach, which wasn't so far from where she sat, opening her soul to her song. 
She began to get hot from her holy exertions, and the church was well heated because it was spring and wouldn't be warm outside for another few weeks, if even then, because the mornings were always pretty cool and you never knew when it might rain, except in September, when it rarely did. So she took off her down vest and undid a few buttons on her shirt so her breastplate, breastplate could vibrate, vibrate in direct communion with the air that was carrying her song high into the rafters of the church and of the world for which the Lord, who had stepped out for a second to attend to some horrific business on the dark side of the moon, was very grateful.
are back again and we just heard Illumina Mina Mai by Mary Gabriella and a poem by Stuart Krimko. What was the name of that one? Uh, that's a good question. And <laughs> speak a little more into the mic, maybe? Yeah. Okay. In a church, guitar and warmth. Yeah. And so that you you were inspired by who were you inspired by when you were writing that work so uh i had been um my friend uh poet ariana ryan's turned me on to this guy shlomo crawlback who's a, is a hasidic rabbi and like uh, she referred to him as the jewish jerry garcia <laughs> uh and so i was trying to write a bunch of poems all at once and i was just listening to this kind of it's great um this the 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 kicker song is uh, Lord Get Me High. Yeah. Uh, so then I was like, I was just rooting around looking for more music of his, and I found this um, spread in, I'm pretty sure it was Life magazine from the late 60s, uh, kind of devoted to like the way the hippie people culture was taking over religious ceremonies or whatever, you know, weddings and blah, blah. Uh, so I just saw this like series of um, little headlines, captions basically for each of these um, photographs of hippies doing this kind of thing. And one of them was like in a church, guitar and warmth. I don't know what, I can't remember what it was actually was. So I just found, had the title and then took off. Just went from there. Yeah. It just wrote there itself. Was no, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but so why do you think it is that people are troubled by hippies, hippies. and italics taking over anything. Are they? I think it's right. Aren't they coming back around? Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> well, the idea of, you know, new age, what that is, is, you know, already a very complicated question. But, is, yeah. But, but, but also the idea of that sort of being very problematic. Well, there's like an uncritical, right? I think, you know, we, we, we've become... Um, but there's potentially an uncritical, like spaced out, you know, where it's all the the aim is like pure harmony and 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 uh, there's kind of something uh, naively utopian about it. Maybe I don't I don't feel this way. I th I think that stuff came out of an, another um, impulse culturally. But I think that's the fear, right? And it just it's so it's. Um, okay, so there's like a naivete, it's yeah. silly, it's unconsidered, it's not based in scientific evidence, it's um, irrational, Ir irresponsible, irresponsible, right? You're just like just purely focused on the self. the self, exactly, right? It's yeah. not. It's it's, it's actually a privileged position, right. you know, which all of which can be true, right? You know? Yeah. Well, I really want to talk about that in more depth, um, but just briefly, I want to touch on. Why, why and how you got into astrology. And then I want to go back to this idea of the, re the revolutionary or not potential of astrology and uh -huh. other, you know, occult arts. Yeah. But so just briefly, like, what does astrology mean to you? How'd you get here? Um, so it happened quickly. Um, I was not like, a, I mean, you know, as a teenager or whatever, I, I, you know, I had a tarot deck or whatever, but I never went down that road, really. Um, and then in my mid to late 20s, um, I, you know, I was just going through stuff, relationship stuff or whatever. Uh, somebody, I think in my, uh, the gallery I was working at the time, um, turned me on to astro.com and I was like, oh, this is more than just sun sign mm -hmm. and horoscope stuff. Mm -hmm. There's this whole language here that is kind of mysterious. And so that, that just appealed to me aesthetically, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and I didn't really... Um, I didn't subscribe that much to it or pay that much attention to it. I would just check in with this thing uh, every now and again and just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And then I started at that point, this is whatever, 2007 or something, six, uh, just seeing what kind of literature was out there. I didn't buy any books or anything. Um, so that happened and I check in with my own astrology through astro.com, which are basically uh, computer generated um, transits can talk about what that is in a minute, written by Rob Hand, um, who's an astrologer. So, and there was just a psychological depth and complexity to it that I found interesting. Um, not even as appeal to apply to me, just the 
how this information was getting generated from this other system was interesting. Mm -hmm. That was it. And I kind of followed it loosely. Um, and then I knew I was um, stepping away from the gallery here. This is 2014. And I thought, well, um, be interesting to have something to do, <laughs> you know? Cause, and so uh, Ariana, who I just mentioned, she had, um, she's an astrologer too, and a great poet. Um, she had been studying with um, this guy who's now a friend, um, Adam Ellenbass, in this uh, online school called Nightlight Astrology. And I figured, you know, I, I, uh, I figured I would just do it because uh, I'd have some time and it's like always something I was peripherally interested in. I was like, oh, this would be an interesting hobby or just another language to learn. And um, I made that commitment and then I started ordering some books and reading them and that was it. I was just like totally um, compelled by the history of it, the, yeah, the formal um, nature of the, of the system, what the system is based on, um, the complexity of the model, the incredible um, diversity of approaches to it, um, the like, the inner battles and stuff. I started to learn all about this and stuff, scratching my head all the time. What do I think about this? What's my relationship to it? <clears throat> and that was kind of it. I just really, um, it captured me as um, Jeffrey Cornelius, who's a great astrologer, says can happen with people. Like it just, as a divinatory system, it just captures people because um, it's it's just limitless uh, in terms of well, it's always changing, right? And um, and I do also think um, we can talk a bit about this too. Like this does happen to be, a th I think, a golden moment for astrology in particular. It's just the uh, the level of the scholarship and research, particularly as it pertains to um, historical sources and trying to figure out how this thing evolved and why. Uh, there's just new translations of all these ancient texts and all this, um, all this work being done by really intelligent people um, trying to figure out wh how we got this thing and, and how we got to where we are today with it. And that's all happened like in the last 20 years, maybe, 15, 20 years. Um, and so it is pretty amazing that this system has existed for thousands of years. I mean, far longer than science or art as we know it. For sure. Or it is like, I, you know, I do think uh, one of the early realizations I had about it is that it's like the proto-social science right. on one level. Um, and I'm not just talking about natal astrology, but primarily, you know, certainly that. Um, but how do you think, like, let's say we took a skeptical view. Mm -hmm. Why Why should anybody believe that the stars have anything to do, or the planets, or the 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 ellipsis of the moon or the sun or any other planet would have anything to do with one's psychology? Um, well, okay, so the, you know, life is chaotic uh, and from a, let's say, atheistic disenchanted point of view or something like that there's no like from a phenomenological there's no larger pattern. yeah patterning right it's just this this like tumult of stuff happening and it's sort of even if you maybe you are religious and you're like but it's beyond our and i had that uh problem and still do to a certain degree like it's beyond our ability to know what any of that means and we shouldn't concern ourselves with it maybe but um the moon, for instance, right? Um, it is an observable, undeniable, incontrovertible fact that it does this like cyclical shape changing over the course of a month. That happens, right? That just is. Well, at least from our perception, it does. Okay, right? but that's all we got. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, that is there's something inherently miraculous about that given especially given the fact of the chaos that surrounds most things that we do um so there's uh i think over time there has there uh, a a language a, a, a discipline like a series of strategies have evolved to interpret that fact and the um 
complex series of facts that surround it when you start to like figure in the other observable planets moving around and their ellipses and stuff like that. And there's a sense of order uh, and like ever, um, ever changing but ever permanent um, relation and um, proportion with the way these bodies are moving around one and the other, right? Uh, and so it's just, I think, um, The fact that there is an, an observable order, the fact that we can predict that the moon is going to have this shape in this many um, days or nights, right? Even the fact that there's like day and night and the lengths of these things are observable and predictable, there's some, it says something about our perspective precisely that we can make that sense, mm -hmm. right? And so then the, the rest of the system is just sort of an extrapolation in ever more elaborate terms of that information. So. Why, um, why would anybody use it, I guess? And it is a tool, I think, more than like a determining influence or anything like that. Because it's there, you know what I mean? Uh, because it provides some kind of information about the structure of the way things are, you know? Yeah. Um, and it is like, uh, if you... Uh, if you don't have like a something of a theological or like poetic or symbolic bent, it's probably not for you and it probably, it doesn't, affect you you right. know what I mean it's not it's then that's okay you know um, yeah yeah I mean there's a theorist uh, Bruno Latour who talks about art object he's he he wrote he writes a lot about facts and mm -hmm. what facts are and he talks about how things like astrology or other thing uh, occult arts are are entry points into something that we wouldn't be able to talk about if we didn't have that so for instance if we were talking about you know, your moon being in your eighth house mm -hmm. or whatever, that that allows you a way in to talk about, an entry point to talk about aspects of your psyche or aspects of the, the world soul in a way that you wouldn't be able to enter if you didn't have that fact. But he believes that all facts, such as, as you were saying, that it's just a fact that the moon, you know, revolves around the earth and he believes that facts are constructed just as much as mm -hmm art or um, systems like astrology are constructions, mm -hmm. and yet that's such a foreign or alien idea to most of us living today where we might say, well, atoms are just a fact, they just exist. And yet most, like, none of, no one's ever seen one with the naked eye, we can't point to them. There's all these machines that we've invented to be able to get at what an atom is, but in, you know, 10, 20 years, we might find, oh, we were wrong about that, that's not actually an atom, it's something else, you know, that we're just calling, we're just labeling something, right? and the way that something happens, the sort of pattern that happens in atom, but, but, but we're creating all the structures that allow us to get there, and so perhaps it's a similar case with astrology. Totally, I mean, you know, if you think about, um, you just, let's say you're like lying in a field and you watch the sun, track across the sky over the course of the day, right? And you put yourself in the frame of mind of like a, whatever, a few dozen generations back, more, a hundred generations back, you know? Um, before there's much writing, let's say, right? And so you see this like big ball that is the source of vitality. You know that much because you're growing crops or whatever. Uh, it, does, it enacts this like kind of human story, right? Mm. It appears, mm. right? It comes from nowhere, from under the earth, it appears. It like rises up to some kind of prominence and then it falls away and it goes away and disappears. And that, you know, you, that you would map some kind of, uh, or just pay attention to those cycles and then see that there are other lights up there doing that in their way. You know, it's like, oh, there's maybe this thing can aid, help us tell the kind of stories of what's going on down here. Why is the thing, who made it that way? Why is there some, any analogy at all between the way we understand our passage through existence and the way that, that there's, see that there's, it's almost like um, the connection is, it's so basic. I think that's, you know, I, you can talk about the complexity of, uh, complexities of astrology ad infinitum, but there's also this, this way in which it's very um, viscerally basic, uh, as basic as like life and death, night and day, you know? Um, and I think that's, uh, yeah, it, it has everything to do about the, to do with the way we understand facts, the way we make sense of whatever um, whatever you want to call it, like, or however you want to think about what 
destiny is for you. And I, and I think, you know, having done this work for a couple of years now, I've, I have I learn more about that every day. I mm -hmm. do think it's a real thing. Destiny, you believe in it? Yeah. I don't think it's like necessarily pre-destiny, but I do think that there's like a, this kind of very, um, it's a very like narrow road or, you know, for most people in which uh, the facts, the unavoidable facts of circumstance as they happen to us and are like, um, ability to generate willpower to like direct the flow of our lives that there's those things kind of like there's a groove in between in which we like can move you know and that's that's destiny right that there's like and it starts with like the fact that you're born to people that you don't know them I mean why did it happen that way well it did right there's some purposefulness in there and, and, and I think it's it's for most people, it's impossible to live without some degree of, of at least worrying over, thinking about, trying to like put words to what that that groove is, you mm -hmm. know. And, and I think things like astrology are good at um, natal astrology, anywhere good at at um, making a case for that and helping describe it, you know. But I, I also think, you know, this issue of um, facts and how we understand facts to be constituted and that maybe they do they facts have just as much to say about the way we see things as the right. way that the, the external reality exists i think there's a way of looking at astrology in which it uses right okay so it uses the facts of our lives to prove to us mm -hmm. that there is this larger intelligence out there you know mm -hmm. what i mean um and that totally comes into play um with, I think, the ethical practice of something like horary astrology. Uh, so for those who don't know what that is, it does not, at least in its um, direct application, make use of a natal chart at all. So it doesn't care when you were born or where. Uh, the, the querent, the client, comes to the astrologer with a question, I lost my dog, where's my dog? And the astrologer casts a chart for the moment that question is received and assigns um, roles to each of the planets that describe the different players in the situation. And then the astrologer will make some kind of predictive judgment based on the information that he or she uh, interprets from the chart. Your dog is with the neighbor, it's okay. The dog is, sorry, it's, you should start thinking about, yeah, maybe moving on, right? Um, and, you know, um, for somebody like William Lilly, who was a Renaissance astrologer in England, who um, considered himself, I think, a religious person, and this, you run up against this pretty quickly if you're at all like a monotheist in the Western sense of the word, like, you know, predicting stuff isn't really cool. If with the God or whatever, with the Bible, let's say, you know? So why, why would you be able to do it, and how could you do it like, uh, have the green light, theologically speaking, to do it. Well, there's an answer, I think, and is that like if the planetary, the astrological information corresponds to your situation in a true way, what it's doing, it's not only providing you with the information you need to find your dog, but it's it's showing you the the the, law, the, the entire problem is an opportunity for the cosmos to show you that. It knows what's going on, and it's it's like that's really the main message with doing even these very like um, what what seem to be rather um, unelevated applications of something like astrology, and sometimes these very earthy um, nuts and bolts applications can do that in a very um, uh, very focused and very kind of like. Uh, Jeffrey Cornelius, who's an astrologer I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, talks about like the difference between something like a, a water form art, like which maybe natal astrology is more of like a water form. We have a conversation. It's about psychological moods, states of mind, and things like that. And you use astrological information to kind of feel your way through some phase of your life. And that's awesome. And, and a lot of the work we do is that. And then there's something like fire form where it's got to be precise and like the 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 delivery of the facts is either is either yes or no true or false and it delivers the information in this other kind of like jolt of a way and they're both they're just two different ways but it's interesting to, to have some access to both yeah i guess it is i mean I, I want to, to take what you're saying and then apply it, go back and skip back a little bit to what we were talking about then, about like the, the revolutionary aspect yeah. of astrology. Because you know, we were talking about like the many different applications that you could use it for. Um, wait a second, I think we might be. Oh, we have two minutes. Two minutes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, so OK, well, I'll just read this real quick, and then you can tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I, the, there's a N plus one article right. about astrology called Stars Are Just Like Us. And I actually didn't write that. Now I'm the name of the author, but anybody who's interested could look it up. And in it, she refers to Adorno and says, Adorno took astrology to be another manifestation of a rational culture which primed American society for totalitarianism. Basically, because it, it numbed people out, it gave people hope for the future. Um, and as we were speaking about, about earlier, that it gives them a sense of, well, it's very much about your own personal struggles. Right. And you have hope, like, next week things are going to get better, you know, or, like, when Mercury comes out of retrograde, then you right. can stop worrying. Up, yeah. yeah. So what do you think about that? I mean, do you agree? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> it's a complicated issue. I think there's a few things. Uh, I can agree, you know, this is one of the good sun sign astrology of the kind you read in the newspaper, which is the kind that Adorno was talking about. It can be really well done, but it can't. One of the problems with it, and it's a problem that any of us who, I think, do this work uh, have, is that it can border on typology, which sucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, yeah, it's fun to say you're a Gemini or whatever, right. but there's also something really shitty about that, because it's like putting a label, like you're picking one of 12 stickers and sticking it on somebody, mm -hmm. and I actually really don't like to do that, and um, that's just a pet peeve of mine, and it's something I try to avoid doing. Um, so in that respect, I think he's right. You know, and it does require a careful use of the thing. On the other hand, you know, he's coming at it at a particular moment in history. I think it's um, some of the script has been flipped a little bit, um, and I absolutely do think that having the kind of like um, intimacy with one's own surroundings, which include one's community and one's political situation, um, on archetypal terms and however else you want to talk about it, that can be generated through astrology, can actually be goads to more participation and snapping oneself out of one's own kind of reverie. And if you start to go back in the tradition, a lot of the astrology is precisely about, it's most of it um, warns against self-indulgence. And most of it, like the, the tradition, um, comes out as highly inflected by um, stoicism mm -hmm. and really taking responsibility for one's own actions. Mm -hmm. So if you, uh, and this has to do with the way astrology was reintroduced to Western culture after the Enlightenment, and it's a long story we don't have time for right <laughs> now. But you and I were talking about hopefully getting together some kind yeah, of like conversation where we talk that. about precisely this issue and we'll both let you know all of you where and when that's going to be but it's a great question and i think it's it's a good uh good one good to end things on that question on that yeah, yeah. well okay so we're ending on thank you very much Stuart, for that very enlightening conversation and i wish that we had another hour because there's so much more that i want to talk to you about but yeah so what if somebody wants to get a hold of you after hearing this and maybe wants you to do their chart or wants to read more work of yours like how can they how can they find out more? They can email me at stuartkrimko at gmail.com. It's the best way. S-T-U-A-R-T-K-R-I-M, like Mary, K-O, at gmail.com. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. And then you and I, we're going to put our heads together and figure out how we can bring this conversation to the masses yeah. sometime soon. So keep your eyes posted on my social media fans, and uh, we'll let you know. All right, thanks.